0: It's good to be here. I was raised in church and youth group, so it is impossible for me not to make a joke about wearing a mask while preaching, because every youth group sermon is about how we all wear a mask all the time. I did not expect this to be the fulfillment of that. So, I, I, again, I had to do that. Any of you who were raised in church know that that's obligatory. So it's good to be like in church with you this morning for lots of reasons. Yeah. So this is our family's first Sunday at Sanctuary as Tolson's, right? So we're excited about that. And apropos of nothing, I have to tell you about Emery, who Zoe and Clive and Julie are with me this morning, but Emory is at home because none of us were prepared for for him. And Emory, if you're watching, that's a compliment. Last night, I was putting him to bed, and he, his sister had read him a terrifying fairy tale, and so he needed another story, and his favorite Bible story is Daniel in the Lion's Den. Not sure why that's comforting, but uh, I started to tell him. He said, I want to tell it tonight. I said, okay. He said, well, I want to tell a different version. Unsurprised. But I said, sure. He said, well, this is a story about Daniel and the five robot tigers and dragons. I said, okay, I like it. He says, well, Daniel in this story is an alien, and he gets captured by this king and thrown into a den of five robot tigers and dragons who feast on king's head soup, which was an important detail, which I asked about, I shouldn't have asked about. Then he says... But the king actually didn't want Daniel to die. And so he prays to God, and God rescues him. And I said, oh, how did he do that? He's like, well, God is a baby. Or actually, God has a really good baby voice. So in God's best baby voice, he commanded the lions, the the tigers and dragons not to eat him, and Daniel was delivered. So there you go. The next time you need to put a kid to bed, tell them the story, not of Daniel in the lion's den, but Daniel and the five robot tigers and dragons. Like I said, apropos, nothing, but it seemed like an important story to share. So it's good to be here, really. And I'm excited about, hopefully, us beginning to move out of the season we've been in into something new. I mean, it, as Bishop was saying earlier, we don't want to be unwise, we don't want to be rash. Who knows what is ahead of us, but hopefully this season is beginning to shift and that we can wisely and carefully make that transition, especially since we're new to Tulsa and I'm ready to find out about our our new place and start the new season of our life. So thank you for all those who've reached out already and helped and welcomed us, so I, I appreciate it. And I look forward to the day when we can actually you know, get together. So I, what I wanna share, and share pretty quickly this morning is a kind of difficult word. It's certainly not, you know, ideal for a setting like this. I mean, our, it's, it's a celebratory moment, right? I mean, this is a moment of joy. We're back together in some sense. But I really feel pressed to, to share about the ways in which we should and shouldn't think about God helping us through times like these, and any time, really. The The collect for the day, the prayer that we begin the liturgy with, asks God to make it so that the church can show forth your power. Grant your church, O merciful God, that we may show forth your power. And the psalm that we just heard declares that God will fulfill his purpose for us, that God will bring it to pass. He will keep us safe he will bring about our salvation by His right hand, and He will fulfill His purpose for us. This is really hard to do, by the way. So I'm going to fidget with my mask a lot. Sorry about that. Um, I hope you don't have to ever do this because this is really terribly uncomfortable. Um, but maybe, maybe it's important detail of the sermon anyway. So the Psalm promises us that God is with us and that God will help us. That God will fulfill His purpose. And the Collect, as I said, is a prayer for God to help us show forth his power in the world. But I think it's incredibly easy for us to hear that in ways that are magical, in ways that expect God's help to come in spite of us, apart from us, without us having to take responsibility. Gregory of Nyssa, who's an early church father, bishop, talks about the Christian life as a movement from Proverbs through Ecclesiastes into Song of Songs. And he says that Christian life begins in Proverbs with a kind of simple faith. God is good, God takes care of those who love him, those who are faithful are rewarded, blessing comes to those who are obedient, and cursing comes to those who are disobedient. And that the life of faith for all of us, as it should, begins with those kinds of childlike simplicities. God is good, the faithful are rewarded, the wicked are punished, and life is what you make of it, right? But he says that's, that's only the beginning of the Christian life. That is the, the shape the faith has if you're a child. But as you continue to grow, he says, in your faith, you will inevitably come into a season of purging, a season in which all the things you thought you knew are broken off of you. All the things you thought you knew about God, all the things you thought you knew about yourself, all the things you thought you knew about the way the world works, and he says there is no way to maturity without passing through the wilderness of purgation, the wilderness of Ecclesiastes, in which you say, wait a minute, life does not work like I thought it worked. The the wealthy Are sometimes wealthy in spite of their disobedience, and the poor sometimes are poor in spite of their faithfulness. And there is no straight line from loving God to enjoying life. Loving God and being blessed. Loving God and having protection. Loving God and avoiding evils. It just, life happens to all of us. And the righteous are no more protected from sin and the brokenness of the world than the unrighteous are. And the righteous don't have better lives than the lives of anyone else. And Gregory says, again, this is 1,600 years ago, that we have to come to terms with that if we're going to mature. That when we were children, we thought as children, but when we are adults, we have to put that away and come to terms with the fact that there are some things God is not going to save us from. And we heard, as Bishop said, the story about people I know who, I mean, we used to live in Cleveland. I know this church, I've been to this church, I've spoken at this church. I know several of the people who died. They were in church like we are now, worshiping, praying, not because they were flippant, not because they were negligent. They felt this is the moment to to step into prayer. This is the moment to begin to live and practice our faith as Christians. And they got sick and many of them were hospitalized and six of them died. And it's, it's hard, it's a hard truth to come to terms with, perhaps especially in Tulsa, the, the city of faith, that there are things God will not protect you from. And that he will not give you a different life from the life that everybody else lives. Christians are not safer. They're not happier. They don't have more meaningful lives than anybody else. We experience life differently because of our trust in God but we don't experience a different life. And Gregory says, if you make it through Ecclesiastes, you can open out into Song of Songs where you have this intimacy with God that is not childish. It's childlike, but it's not childish. And you have an, an understanding of this is the way the world is and we're with God anyway. Right? That there are going to be things that happen to us, but nothing that happens to us can separate us from God. And this is how Romans 8 works. Romans 8 tells you that all of these terrible things are going to test you and try you, but know that the Spirit intercedes for you, God works all things for your good, and nothing can separate you from Christ. So all these things are going to happen, just just as they happen to everyone else. But know the Spirit intercedes for you, God works all things for your good, nothing can separate you. So let's come back to this psalm, this promise that God will fulfill his purpose. How is that gonna happen? And what I wanna stress this morning in just my last few minutes is, it will happen as you live it and no other way. It won't happen if you wait for it to happen. It won't happen until you stop waiting for it to happen and you live it, until it is embodied in your life. I think a lot of us are conditioned to think to think magically about the work of God in our life, that we don't do anything, we wait on God to do it. Right? And, and there's, that's, there's a half truth there. There's a way in which part of the life of faith is learning to stand still and see the glory of the Lord. But here's the difference between magical thinking and faithful thinking. Magical thinking is God will save me from having to be responsible. Faithful thinking is God will make it so that I can be responsible. For what happens to me and what happens to people around me. Magical thinking is, this is too much for me. I can't do it. God will save me from having to do it. Faithful thinking is, this is too much for me. God will empower me to do what I couldn't have done apart from his grace. Magical thinking makes it so that we are shifting responsibility. We are always turning it away to someone else, and that turns us into people who are Blaming others for what goes wrong, who are deceived about the nature of reality itself, who are out of touch with ourselves. But faithful thinking brings us into touch with ourselves, lets us face reality for what it is. And instead of blaming others, we can hold to God in the midst of it and say, in spite of everything, nothing can separate me from God. So, in the other readings for the day, it's it's striking. The psalm promises that God will fulfill his purpose, but the other readings for the day point to the ways in in which that happens. In the gospel that we heard, Jesus tells Peter, you're the rock, I'm going to build my church on you. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. I'm going to give you power. And what you bind will be bound, what you loose will be loosed. But then there's a detail right at the end of that passage that we almost always miss. Right after Jesus tells Peter this, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. What you bind will be bound, what you loose will be loosed. He says, do not tell anyone that I'm the Messiah. So that the first sign of God entrusting you with power is he requires restraint. He requires you to be able to hold it in, to not assert yourself in the wrong ways, to not be rash about the authority that God has given you. I think if I can be so bold... I have a long history with sanctuary, and now I live here, so it's going to be harder for you to get rid of me. But I, I see so much of this from so many Christians who are so rash about their rights, not just around COVID and mask wearing, just in general. So angry and so forceful about what they know to be true. No one who's a Republican can be a Christian, I've heard them say. No one who's a Democrat can be a Christian, I've heard them say. No one who votes for a candidate who supports abortion can be a Christian, I've heard them say. And it's all a sign of a lack of restraint. Having a truth and not being able to keep yourself from forcing it on other people is a sign that you don't have the truth. I'm going to say that again. Having a truth that you can't keep from forcing on other people is a sign you don't have the truth. Because when you are violent with something, it's a sign that the spirit that's moving you is not the spirit of the creator. It's not the spirit of Jesus. It's really quiet in here now. It was already awkward. It's going to get even more awkward before before it gets better. I am hurrying, though. Jesus says, you have the keys of the kingdom, but I can't trust you to use these keys rightly if you don't know how to restrain yourself. The fruit of the spirit is love that manifests itself in self-control. So many of us have imagined that if we're filled up with the Spirit, we'll be so bold that we'll say everything that comes to our minds, every time it comes to our minds, no matter what the cost is. That's not boldness, that's rashness. That's, that's That's a spirit of hatefulness, a spirit that's out of control. Think about how many times in Jesus' life, he just doesn't say anything. In the face of his accusers, he doesn't say anything. And so much, the the mark of a truly faithful Christian life is, first of all, the ability not to say something. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this in his book, Life Together, he says, the first gift and the most important work anyone, the first gift God gives and the most important work anyone does in community is learn to hold their tongue. You want to live in community with people? restrain yourself. And the more you really understand the truth, the more you will find you are capable of restraining yourself. Another text is the text in Exodus one of Shifra and Pua who are the midwives who disobey Pharaoh's orders. Pharaoh says to the midwives, whenever a Hebrew woman is giving birth, on the birthing stool, you can Google that later, on the birthing stool, if it's a male, kill it, and if it's a female, let it live. And Shifra and Pua, who have been entrusted by the Pharaoh to be the midwives for Israel, they disobey him. And they help these Hebrew women on their birthing stools to give birth to the male babies, and they hide them. And when Pharaoh calls them to account, they cleverly deceive him, which is a way of the Bible telling you that Pharaoh's not that bright. Right? The, the midwives say, oh, We tried to do it, but these women, these Hebrew women, they're not like the Egyptian women. They give birth so fast that by the time we get there, the babies are already delivered and hidden, and we don't know what's happening to them. And he fell for it, right? And so God said, the text says, they feared God and therefore disobeyed the Pharaoh. So just like a mark of true grasp of God's work in your life is restraint, another mark of the true work of God in your life is who you are willing to sacrifice yourself for. Think about Shifra and Pua. They work for the Pharaoh, and they put that at risk for those babies. They put their own lives at risk to protect these vulnerable mothers and their children. They defy the people in power to care for those who are being abused. And this is another mark of God's purpose being accomplished in your life. It's what are you willing to confront for the sake of the protection of those who are at risk? And if the Spirit of God is in us, we find not that we are coddling up to Pharaoh, but that we are drawn to protect the least of these. Not that we're protecting our own future by making sure Pharaoh knows we're on his side, but making sure that no matter what we have to say to Pharaoh, we take care of those people who are suffering and who are under threat. And then the epistle for the day is Romans 12, where Paul talks about how all of us have gifts. All of us have gifts, prophecy, teaching, compassion, and that we need to exercise these gifts according to the faith that's shaped in us as we are renewed in our minds and conformed to Christ and not conformed to the world so that the gift that is in you can only truly be given gracefully when you and I find that our minds are renewed away from the way the world works to the way that God's kingdom works. And this is what we see Jesus calling the disciples to do. This is what we see Shifra and Pua embodying in that they are not doing what common sense says you should do. They are following the leading of the Spirit, not what would make sense under the way the world works. And so, what does this have to do with how God helps us? Eddie Hillesom was a Dutch Jewish woman who kept a diary in the days right before the Holocaust, and she ends up dying in the Shoah. And she knows that she's going to be arrested, and in her diary you can see her her entries about the things that are happening happening in Holland, what's going to happen to her. She can see it coming. And on Sunday, July the 12th, 1942, she writes what would become her most famous journal entry. This is just a a short time before she gets arrested and taken to the prison camps. And on that Sunday, July the 12th, 1942, she writes in her journal... God, I am coming to terms with the fact that you will not help us and you cannot help us. We can help you. And the only way to help ourselves is to help you by guarding in ourselves your dwelling place. What a startling thing to say. The the journal entry is, is long. You should definitely take time to read it. After you Google birthing stool, you can Google Eddie Hillisom's journal entry. And she, in this journal entry, she, she talks about the ways in which what she wants, of course, is for this not to be happening. What she wants is for there not to be a Nazi power. What she wants is for there not to be this imposition of power on the Jews. What she wants is for there not to be a Holocaust. But she is ready to face the fact that that is not going to happen. What she wants is not what's going to happen. God is not going to keep that from happening. And she's able to face that. And there's a line in the the diary where she says, I do not hold you accountable. I know you will hold me accountable. Now, this is faith on the other side of Ecclesiastes. If you're in Proverbs and you're facing a trouble like that, all you can think is, God, you have to fix this. But there comes a point in a mature Christian life in which you realize it's not getting fixed. God will not and cannot help in that way. It's not getting fixed. We're all going to die. Isn't that encouraging news, right? There, none of us are getting out of this life alive. We're not going to escape trouble between now and our death. We are going to suffer in small ways and large ways. We are gonna lose friendships. We are gonna be betrayed. Our bodies are gonna betray us. Our minds, if we live long enough, will betray us. The markets will betray us. These things are going to happen to you and to me and to everyone we love and everyone we do not love if that's what we're waiting on God to do, fix life so we don't have to live it, it's not going to happen. But what we have to do is exactly what Eddie Hillisum realized. We have to help God in this sense. We have to learn to protect the dwelling place of God in us and in others. And the only way to do that is what we see Jesus telling the disciples. Learn restraint. What we see with Shifra and Pua, Protect the vulnerable. Don't spend your time wishing that there wasn't a Pharaoh threatening these people. That's not going to change. Protect the vulnerable. Stop trying to wish the problem away. Act. Do something about it. Take responsibility and assume and know and trust that as you take responsibility, that will be God fulfilling his purpose in you. Because... The work of God in the world always looks like the work of the people of God in the world. What is God doing in the world? What you're doing and what I'm doing. And every generation is blessed insofar as the people of God take responsibility to do God's work in the world. And every generation is cursed insofar as the people of God refuse to take responsibility to do God's work in the world. God will not work in this time, in this city, in your life or mine, if we don't take responsibility to do it. We have to step up. And we can only do that if we step out of Proverbs, through Ecclesiastes, into intimacy with God, and we say, like Eddie Hillison said, God, I know you're not going to help me in the way that I wanted you to help me. But I know I can help you. I know I can serve you by protecting your dwelling place in all of these people around me. So my challenge to you today is as we leave today and we go back out into that world that's shot through right now with so much fear and so much anger and so much division, learn restraint, protect the vulnerable, give up Proverbs, and move into the intimacy with God in which you realize God's work in the world is what you say and what you do and what you don't say and what you don't do. That is God's action. All of those people around you that you're going to meet this coming week, you are the presence of God to them. Help them come aware of that. Help them come aware of the ways in which God's dwelling place is in their heart. Let me pray for you. God, you are good to us. You withhold no good thing from any of us. You answer every prayer we pray in ways we could not even think to ask for. But you don't always give us what we think we want because we don't know what to want. And God, there is a part of all of us, certainly a part of me, that just wants the world to be right. And I think we should want the world to be right. But what we need now, what I need now, is the boldness to say, God, you're not going to change this. So help me to live as a changed person in the midst of this unchanged world. Help me to bring the kind of change that can be brought and needs to be brought by being faithful to you and helping you to the last. I pray this in Christ's name for all of us. Amen.